0: What a great day it's been, being able to come together as the people of God. If you have your Bible, we're going to begin our study here in just a moment in Acts chapter 2. I would invite you and encourage you to study along with us. Our Bibles in your pews in front of where you're sitting if you need one. And we're going to begin in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, in just a moment. We have a number of visitors here. Thank you for being here. And thank you for those who are members at this congregation for being here as well it's always a blessing to be able to come together and to worship our Father in spirit and truth. And what a great uh, opportunity we had at the 9 a.m. worship service where we sang songs together and encouraged one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Thank you for all of the men who led us in that, uh, in that period of worship. May God bless you as well. Before I dive into my lesson, I want to share with you a special series of lessons Uh, Lord willing, I'm going to be preaching beginning next uh, Sunday morning. I just want to read something here to you. Uh, Beginning next Sunday, February 2nd. Can you believe, by the way, January is almost over? Isn't that unbelievable? Uh, Next Sunday, February 2nd, uh, at the request of our three elders, I'm going to begin a series of lessons uh, dealing with Christians, politics, and the election year. Lord willing, I'm going to present four lessons During the 9 a.m. hour of worship services. So from that first hour of worship, this is where these lessons will be presented. I just want to encourage everyone to strive to have all the families at all the worship services as we study together and worship our Father in heaven. And so, Lord willing, I'm going to begin that special series of lessons next Sunday during the 9 a.m. worship hour. If you have your Bible in Acts chapter 2... And really, throughout the book of Acts, we find the apostles preaching the word of God. We find the apostles talking about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All throughout the book of Acts, we find the apostles speaking and emphasizing about the miracles of Jesus. The miracles that this man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, that he performed. And that was the case, obviously, in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bible, remember what Peter said here in verse 22? He said, Men of Israel, listen to these words Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. People knew about these miracles, and people understood the power of Jesus Christ that he demonstrated through these miracles. What Peter says here is a great reminder for us about the importance of the miracles of Jesus. Spending time studying them is something that all of us should continue to do. They are that important. In John chapter 20, if you remember what John the Apostle said in verse number 30 and 31, actually Jesus said these words here. John recorded these words here in John chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31 The apostle, as he uh, wrote down the words of Jesus, Jesus said, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of these disciples, which are not written in this book. So he's rehearsing about all the things that Jesus had done. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So I got that a little confused. That was John writing those words there. And he was emphasizing the great miracles of Jesus and the miracles he performed all throughout his ministry. And so this morning, I want to spend the time that we have remaining studying one particular miracle that is recorded for us. It's found in Luke chapter 13. If you have your Bible, let's turn over there. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to read the text in Luke chapter 13. Our study is going to come from verses 10 through 17. Then, after reading the text, we'll go back to verse number 10. and just want to walk us through these verses here. It's a great story. We, we learn so much about our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, his love, his compassion, his power, and yet there's still so much more that we'll be able to learn by studying this together. So let's read together in Luke chapter 13 and verse number 10. Maybe you're familiar with this story. Maybe this is the first time that you're going to hear it. In and and Luke 13 and beginning in verse 10, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done. So come during them and get healed and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him saying, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey From the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Let's talk about these verses for a little bit. And then afterwards, obviously, we'll make some application and some things for us to consider. When you go back to verse number 10, Luke records this. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. All throughout the ministry of Jesus, we find him teaching in the synagogues. It's all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I wanted to share with you a couple of examples of this. If you just stay in the Gospel of Luke, will you turn back to Luke chapter 4? And Luke chapter 4 and verse number 15 and verse number 16, we find Jesus, and we learn some things along the way, too, about the synagogues and what Jesus would do and how certain things would operate there. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, actually start back in verse 15, the Bible says, And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom. So we know this was something that he did on a regular basis. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So he was going to read from the book of Isaiah. After he gets done reading in verse 20, it says that he closed the book gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and so we learn a couple of things here we learn that there was a reading of God's word a reading of of the law of the word of God and we know that it was custom for Jesus along with many other Jews to to gather in the synagogue or at a particular synagogue on the Sabbath, the fact that Jesus is also reading and going to speak in the synagogue helps us to see that he had a reputation which would allow him to also teach during this time. We also see here in verse number 20 that he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. So we know that he was standing as he was reading and, and teaching and instructing. and we know that there was an attendant there as well as we saw in our reading back in Luke chapter thirteen. In Mark chapter 6, if you want to turn over there, Mark chapter 6 and verse 1, I just want to share a few more examples of, of Jesus in the synagogue and teaching the word of God. And we find this all throughout, all throughout his ministry. In Mark chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Jesus went out from there and he came into his hometown and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and the many listeners Were astonished. Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him and such miracles as these performed by his hand? So again, he would teach in the synagogues and there was this gathering that would take place. On the Sabbath, in Matthew chapter twelve, in verses nine and ten, look over in Matthew uh, Matthew's account in verses nine and ten, Matthew chapter twelve, verses nine and ten, we find Jesus again. It's the Sabbath day; he's in the synagogue, and now he's uh, he's going to be uh, performing a miracle as well as we see in our reading in Luke chapter thirteen. In Matthew chapter twelve, in verse number nine, the Bible says, "Departing from there, he went into their synagogue." And a man was there whose hand was withered and they questioned Jesus asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And that becomes important as we go back to our story in Luke chapter 13 as to why we see some of the things that are stated by the man in Luke chapter 13 we're going to see that this official was upset because Jesus had performed a miracle on the Sabbath. And so we know that Luke's account, that wasn't the only occasion where he not only was in the synagogue and teaching and performing a miracle, there were other occasions as well. And we also know when you just look in the book of Acts real quickly here, uh, not only just with the Gospels, but in, in the book of Acts, we know that the synagogues were places where the Jews would gather on, on, on the Sabbath. And they would, they would read, and they would study, and obviously worship was taking place there. We know in Acts chapter 13 that this was the custom of Paul as well. In Acts chapter 13... We know in verse number 13 that Paul and his companions, when they went to a new city, they would typically go or at least try to find a place, uh, a a synagogue to to, to read and to teach the word of God. In verse 14, it says, on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down After the reading of the law and the prophets, one commentary said that in the process of time, they had some type of set reading of the law over like a span of three years. I don't know exactly when that may have begun, but we do know that there was a constant reading of the law and the prophets. The synagogue officials sent to them saying, brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. And so we know that Paul and others would use this opportunity to proclaim Jesus Christ. Then in verse number in verse number 27. And verse number 27 it says for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets which are read every sabbath. So this was something that was taking place on a regular basis. This was something that was being done Every Sabbath. We also know, when you go back to our story in Luke chapter 13, When you turn back there, please, in Luke chapter 13, that the emphasis again, and this is going to be a big part of the story of what we find later on, was that this was taking place on the Sabbath day. And we understand the significance of the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was the seventh day of the week. And it was God who spoke to the Israelites back in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 20. Turn there and read that with me, please. In Exodus chapter 20, I believe this was the fourth commandment given. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 8, where God is going to instruct the Israelites that they were to remember the Sabbath. In Exodus 20 and verse number 8, the Bible says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you should not do any work, you or your son or your daughters, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so we know that the topic of the Sabbath day is going to come up again in the story. So let's go back and let's look at verse number 11 back in Luke chapter 13. In Luke chapter 13, we get some details here. We know where, where Jesus is. We know what day of the week it is. And then in verse number 11, we're going to be introduced to a woman. And there are other women that we read about in the Gospels that Jesus would heal. Remember the woman who was hemorrhaging hemorrhaging with blood for, or had the issue of blood for 12 years? Now we find this woman here. And the Bible says, and there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. We know a couple of things about her. Number one, we know obviously that she was Jewish. Jesus would describe her as a daughter of Abraham later on in that passage. And we know that she had access to the synagogue as other women did during that time. We also know something else. She had a tough life. For 18 years, she had the same problem. You look back in history, life expectancy during that time wasn't, I don't believe, as long as it is today. So you can imagine just how long or how, you know, this just basically consumed most of her her life. 18 years she had this problem. We don't know how old she was, but we know the kind of life that she must have been living, a very challenging life, 18 years. And we know some other things, too. Her sickness, I'm reading from the New American, it says bent double, that she couldn't raise herself up. And you think about this, she couldn't stand up straight and no one was going to be able to help her with this condition. And so we can see how tragic her condition really was. And we learn something else. When you go back and look carefully again at verse number 18, for 18 years she had had a sickness caused by a spirit. You see that? A sickness caused by a spirit. Later on in verse 16, Jesus said this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years. So isn't that interesting? It's sad and it's scary. We know that this spirit, this uh, demon, uh, this disabling spirit had caused her sickness. And we find other examples of this as well. Look over in uh, Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, Uh, Luke chapter 9 and verse number 38, Luke chapter 9 and verse number 38, we know that demon possession was real in the first century. Uh, And Jesus, as he's speaking to the crowd, one of the things that struck me is that he's speaking to them in a way that they understood that this was was real, that this was really taking place. They understood the devil to be real, Satan to be real, demon possession to be real. In Luke chapter 9 and verse number 38 and 39, the Bible says, and a man from the crowd shouted, saying, teacher, I beg you. To, I beg you to look at my son for he is my only boy and his spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams and it throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth and when only with difficulty does it leave him mauling him as it leaves. There are other cases like this as well in Luke chapter 11 and verse number 14. Look back or look over in Luke chapter 11 and verse number 14. In Luke chapter 11 and verse number 14 The Bible says, and he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So we see how these demons would affect the bodies of those that they were inside. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. And so those are just a couple of examples here. Going back to our passage in Luke chapter 13, this woman, she's bent over. Satan has bound her for 18 long years. She had this disabling spirit. So when you go back to Luke chapter 13, let's look at verse verse number number 12. In Luke chapter 13 and verses 12 and 13, the Bible says, When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately, immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. Don't you just love? what Jesus says there, and the fact that Jesus, Jesus saw this woman. We see the compassion of Jesus. He's teaching, but he sees this woman, and he sees the condition that, that she is currently in. And we see some other things as well. We know that Jesus had great power and authority. The people were constantly amazed at his authority when it came to his teaching. And he also is going to demonstrate his power and authority over these spirits as well by casting out this spirit, by healing this woman. Jesus is going to perform a miracle in the midst of this audience. So think about the, the, the situation here. They're in the synagogue. And as you think about the miracles of Jesus, something that's very powerful and important to remember, these things weren't done where, you know, where Jesus was trying to hide these miracles. Everyone is seeing what he's doing. They would have known this woman, or more than likely, many of them probably would have known who this woman was. And now they're going to hear the words of Jesus. And when you go back, they're also not only going to hear his words, but they're also going to see his power. Because they're going to see that this woman who was bent over for 18 long years. So it wasn't just, you know, Jesus, he's emphasized this is a long time. Now they're going to see her standing up straight again. It is something really powerful for us to consider. So he performs this miracle. And something else that is interesting is that when you think about this miracle, no one denied it. No one could deny the miracle. All throughout the first century, the miracles that Jesus performed, typically people were not denying his power. And even the the synagogue official in verse 14, he's going to be upset because his healing took place on the Sabbath. But it is also interesting that he could not deny that a miracle had taken place as well. And so that's something very important for us to consider. And as I was reading this and studying this, obviously miracles were immediate as well. They didn't take two weeks. And a lot of people say they have power to perform miracles today. They have no power at all. They have the same amount of power as Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. And he had no power at all, okay? But the miracles that Jesus performed, they were immediate. People could see them. They could experience them. There was no denying them. But as I was reading this story, shouldn't the story end at verse 13? Shouldn't that just kind of be the end of the story? Where everybody's glorifying God. That should be the end of it, right? A miracle has taken place. Jesus is teaching. This woman is made well. She's freed from her sickness. But that's not the end of the story. Because we, we learn more about this, this official at the synagogue. Look at verse 14. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, there's six days in which work should be done. So come during them and get healed and not on the Sabbath day. What's interesting to me is that this man, he knew the, the word of God. He knew the law. He could quote it. But as we'll see in our study, this man was a hypocrite. This man was a hypocrite. It was true. That were, there were six days to work. We just read that back in Exodus chapter 20, verses 9, 10, and 11. And we know that the Sabbath day was a special day. It was a holy day. We know that. That's what the Bible hopes us to see. But there are also some problems when you think about this man here. When you look at the story here, this man had no compassion. Where's the compassion for this woman? Who after 18 years, and Jesus is making it very clear, this has been her problem for almost two decades. Everyone else is glorifying God, so why aren't you doing it as well? He just changed this woman's life. She can live truly now. And yet this man, he is upset. Not only that, but when you think about what he did, he's indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. So what's he doing? He's going to the crowd. He's going to get everybody worked up. And he's, uh, uh, what he's essentially doing, he, he's going after Jesus. He's trying to find fault. And he's trying to go after Jesus. And I think that becomes very clear as well. You see, this was a common theme. Will you turn back with me real quickly again to Matthew chapter 12? Remember, we read this in Matthew chapter 12 and verses 9 and 10. In Matthew chapter 12, we see this in a couple of places. Matthew chapter 12, look at verse number 9. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. And a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus asking is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? You know, what's interesting is how Jesus would get so many questions in his ministry. And yet so many times people were not really interested in the truth. They were interested in trapping him and in finding some reason to accuse him. And that was a case here. Look over in John's Gospel, in John chapter 5, please. In John chapter 5, we see this in action as well throughout the ministry of Jesus. In John chapter 5, remember there was a man... And certainly the woman who had this illness or this, this, this spirit for 18 long years, we find a man in John chapter 5 who had been ill, according to verse 5, for 38 years. And Jesus is going to heal him. This sick man is going to, 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 to be able to pick up his palate and walk in verse number 8. And at the end of verse number 9, John mentions that it was, it was on the Sabbath day that Jesus did this. And so these Jews are going to become, they're going to start going after Jesus because of what he had done, healing on the Sabbath. And verse 16, it says, for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And what's interesting, this story picks up, when you go to John chapter 7, look over in John chapter 7, Jesus here in John chapter 7 and verse number 21, this story he uh, continues, he said in John chapter 7 and verse 21, Jesus answered them, he said, I did one deed and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses would not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? You see, that's what they were going after him all the time. And he's trying to help them to see Now, they're wrong about this. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And that's where they were often wrong. And that's what we find in Luke chapter 13 as well. And so when you go back to Luke chapter 13 and verse number 14, this idea of the synagogue official here being indignant, this was not the first time that this would happen. Many of the Jews were looking for these opportunities to accuse Jesus. And what we see here is that they, were, they had a heart problem, number one. They were hypocrites. And not only that, but their judgment was also flawed. So look at what Jesus says. Look at how he responds in verse number 15. In verse number 15, let me go back there in my Bible to Luke chapter 13 and verse number 15. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites. So what was interesting to me reading this, it says the synagogue official in verse 14. But now he seems to be addressing more than just the synagogue official because he's saying, you hypocrites. He says, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? You see what Jesus is trying to get them to see? Jesus rightly judged this man as well by calling them hypocrites. Uh, They were accusing him of doing something wrong and not properly resting on the Sabbath. And what is so important as we think about this story here is that, number one, Jesus never violated the Sabbath. He never violated the Sabbath. He never sinned, and that's important because what these men were trying to do, they were trying to really enforce a lot of their traditions upon Jesus and the things that he would do. On the Sabbath, but Jesus never committed any sin, and Jesus observed the law and did everything according to the law. The, the command to rest on the Sabbath was by no means uh, this absolute pro- prohibition of all types of activities. You look at Matthew chapter twelve, where Jesus and his disciples were were picking grain i believe in uh, on the Sabbath in Matthew chapter twelve, and the Pharisees came after them. Because they said, what your disciples are doing is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. And there's one verse, we're not going to read all of it, but in verse 7, there's one verse and one word where Jesus makes it clear, his disciples did not violate the Sabbath at all. In verse number 7, he said, but if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. So Jesus describes his disciples as being innocent. They had not violated the the Sabbath. And so his disciples did not violate the Sabbath and Jesus did not violate the Sabbath when he performed these miracles on the Sabbath day. And so that becomes really important as we think about this story here and this man being indignant. We know in Luke chapter six is parallel to Matthew chapter 12. So we'll just bypass that here. Uh, and so we know that this man had a major heart problem as Jesus made very clear when he said, you hypocrites. And it wasn't just him. But we know that there were also others as well who had this problem. And so think about what Jesus says next in verse number, uh, verse number 16. Let's move on to verse number 16. In verse number 16, Jesus would say, And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? So these men are all upset with Jesus because he changed this woman's life on the Sabbath day. He's helping them to see their hypocrisy by saying, well, look at what you're doing with your animals on the Sabbath day. And now he says in verse number 16, look at this woman. She's the daughter of Abraham. She's valuable, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years. Should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? What it sounds like to me, at least is that Jesus is saying the Sabbath day is the perfect day for this miracle to take place and for this woman to be freed from her sickness. You're accusing me of doing something wrong, which I'm not. But in reality, this is actually the perfect day for this to happen. Should this woman continue in misery even one more day? And and should we allow Satan to continue to keep her bound for another moment? This day was a great day for this woman to be freed. And we understand that the Sabbath day was to be a day of rest. Now think about this woman. She, can now really have, she could really have rest. But there is something else for us to think about. We turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 5, please. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, I, I want to read this again. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, or I guess read it for the first time this morning. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, what we find here, we find instructions uh, being given. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we learn something else about uh, the Sabbath. In verse number 12, the Bible says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your cattle, Or your sojourner who stays with you so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Now notice what else he says in verse number 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. So yeah, they were to rest and they were also to remember. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand. And by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. And so, what we find here is that, yes, the Israelites were to rest and they were also to remember. They were to remember the power of God, the miracles that He performed going back to the days of Egypt and how God had delivered them from that Egyptian bondage. So, think about this. Now this woman is healed by Jesus. She has been in bondage for 18 long years by Satan. And yet Jesus chose to set her free. He gave her deliverance and freedom. One has said this regarding these events that took place here. One has said that this was not a convenient time, the Sabbath day, for the Lord, considering that it would cause him greater opposition but the seventh day was the best time to demonstrate to the Jews that he was the redeemer of Israel and could rescue them from the slavery of sin. His ability to miraculously release the woman from physical bondage pointing to the fact that he could also deliver her and them spiritually from the power of Satan and offer them true rest. And that statement there really stands out to me that what Jesus says here that this was Why not uh, allow her to be healed on the Sabbath day? And making all of these connections, I think, is really powerful. You remember back in Luke chapter 4 and verse number 16 when Jesus was in the synagogue on the Sabbath day? I told you in verse 17 in Luke chapter 4 that he had the book of the prophet Isaiah. That book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. What Jesus is doing, he's reading a passage about himself and what he was going to do. And that's what we find he's doing now in Luke chapter 13. And so what he's trying to help them to understand, of course she should be healed. And yes, even on the Sabbath day. And so what, what we find here in this story, it fits exactly with what Isaiah prophesied about in Luke chapter 4. That Jesus, indeed, he was the anointed one. He did come uh, to, to heal and to perform these miracles and ultimately to set people free. When you think about this attendant on the Sabbath day, the synagogue official, rather, in verse number 14, this man was just off. The Sabbath was, was the right time for Jesus to heal this woman. And I think he makes that abundantly clear. It was a day of rest and a day of remembrance from deliverance. And what this man lacked, this man lacked compassion. And he was also a hypocrite at the same time. And so when you consider the last verse here, and then we'll make some application. When you consider the last verse in verse number 17, as he said this, so think about this whole situation here. There's, everybody's still listening to all of this. They're still in the synagogue. They're still having this discussion. And everybody is still a part of this. And what we find in verse 17, as he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated. I love reading that. Is that bad? I love, I love reading what it says there. And I don't know if that's bad for me to say that, but I don't think it is because his enemies were wrong and they were always trying to accuse him and to go after him. Jesus was always right. He was sinless. And yet they constantly did this. And so now what we find, his opponents were being humiliated and the entire crowd, was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. The synagogue's attendant, that attendant, his plan backfired. Those who had tried to oppose Jesus now were humiliated, and rightfully so. Think about what is really happening here. The Son of God was in their presence, and they failed to give him glory, praise, and honor. Instead, they attacked him to the point now there was nothing more that they could say. I don't know about you, but I believe this is a powerful story. And it's a reminder of so many things for us to hold on to and to really consider. I, I've looked at this story before. I don't know if I have really thought of, uh, of some of the things that I've learned since studying this more. But I do think there are some applications. So let's wrap this up here with the rest of our time. From this story here, I think we, it's clear, and not just this story, but, but obviously the entire gospel, all the gospel books, that Jesus came to set men free. He came to deliver us from sin. Now, this woman was bound by Satan, and yet Jesus and his power would be able to free her. And you learn something even about the devil as well. The devil, all he wants to do is ruin lives. And he does a great job of doing that. He had this woman bent over in this situation for 18 long years with this disabling spirit. Now, demon possession is no longer taking place. But there are people who are blind and shackled and whose lives are in utter chaos and ruin and despair as a result of sin and being under the dominion of Satan. Remember what Paul said to King Agrippa as he recounted his conversion story and his work proclaiming the word of God in Acts chapter 26, that he came to to, to to preach the word of God, to open their eyes in verse 18, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Jesus had the power to free this woman. And Jesus has the power to deliver us from the greatest kind of sickness, sin. Sin is worse than being bent over or mute and lame or having a hand that's withered. Sin will cause one to be eternally separated from Jesus. And there are many who have been in bondage for a really long time. And yet Jesus is the one that can deliver us from sin. He is the one that said in Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 28 and 29, come to me. Come to me, he said in verse 28, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, from gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He's the one that's able to deliver us. And he desires to give us rest now and in eternity. And that's why he came to die on the cross, to deliver us from sin. I think about our Bible reading in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 7. In Romans chapter 6, as Paul was speaking to those saints in Rome, he reminded them in verse number 7 of what they had done. He said, for he who has died is freed from sin. They had become freed from sin through faith in Jesus Christ and repentance and confessing their faith in Christ. And by being buried in water, being baptized with him into his death. This is what Jesus can do for all men. He has the power. And he has come to deliver us from sin, and we need to believe that. As we think about another point of application, the miracles of Jesus are recorded so that we can believe that he is the Son of God. We have these miracles for a reason. They've been recorded for us for a reason, as we read in John chapter 20. The question is, are we going to believe them? Will we believe the miracles that we have in this book? You know, many times the problem is not with not having enough evidence to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and to submit to him and to obey the gospel. Many times the problem is a matter of the heart. That synagogue attendant saw the miracle, yet he's still not going to believe. That was the problem for so many people In the first century, in John chapter 12 and verse 42 and 43, it says, Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Evidence was typically never the problem. Or if it was, there was enough evidence to to satisfy any questions or doubts people had. The problem was the heart. In Acts chapter 4 and verse number 16, when Peter and John had performed a miracle back in Acts chapter 3, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 16, the Bible says, the the Jews said, What shall we do with these men for the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. The miracles, they couldn't deny that. They saw the power. The question is, are we going to deny those miracles? We have these miracles so that we can believe. Many times it's not the evidence. It's a matter of the heart. Let's believe what we have. And not only that, but let's rejoice because of the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. That's what the people did. That's what the woman did. She began to glorify God. This is a natural response. If you've been saved from your sin, every day is the perfect day, the best day, the right day to give glory to God. And to remember what he has done for you. And finally... This story helps me to be reminded and comforted, and hopefully you too, that Jesus sees what you're going through. He saw this woman bent over for 18 long years. He already knew what her problem was, and he saw what she was experiencing, and he had compassion. And I love this because we need to be reminded that Jesus sees what you're going through. He sees what I go through. He cares. And whatever one may be experiencing right now, death, sickness, disappointment, despair know that your savior cares and that you're not alone he sees he sees what it is that may even be afflicting us he knows what you are going through what i am going through and there's more i think i could say here but i'm going to stop well i'm going to stop here this story and the impact of this story should not stop here it should convict us and it should cause us to glorify God even more with what he's done for us and to follow Jesus Christ and so I'll leave you all with a question will you follow him today he's demonstrated who he is and he is the one that can deliver us from our sins if you need to be saved we'd love to help you to teach you what you need to do if you're ready to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins come now as we stand and as we sing